0: I'm Chris, and uh, I am a deacon in the United Methodist Church. Uh, I've been attending here at Rockbridge for about a year with my wife and son. Um, I am appointed over at Southwestern University and uh, help out here from time to time as needed. Um, Will you join me in in a moment of prayer? God, we thank you that you come after us that you don't wait for us to to come for you, but that you are always offering yourself and your grace to each and every one of us. We thank you that you you came to this world and lived as a human to show us the way. I pray that your spirit would speak through me, that the, the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, and that people would finish this service closer to you than they were before we began. That that is our purpose, to be drawn closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start by reading our, our scripture today. We're doing a little swap. So Pastor Jim was going to do the uh, prodigal son today, but he really wants to wrap that one up, so we we agreed. I just kind of swapped with the next week. So this week, we are doing the Pharisee and the tax collector, which is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Uh, This is the NIV version. That's on your screens. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Word of God for the people of God. So Jesus is often vague when it comes to his parables. So he'll tell a parable, and his disciples say, what, what? what, is, what does that mean? And, and now 2,000 years later, we often go, what, what, what does that mean? Uh, we're still trying to figure some of them out. But luckily, this is not one of those cases. Jesus explains it for us. He says that the proud religious man who, who thinks he has it all together and is loud, literally, about his righteousness. And then there's the humble man who, who knows he's a sinner, and he doesn't even want to look up at the representation of God. He says that the Pharisee found his righteousness in himself, and that the tax collector didn't think he had any. But... In typical upside-down world Jesus fashion, the case is the opposite. This this is part of of the change that Jesus brings into the world, that, that what we think is one way is actually the other, and that is the inequity of grace that we're talking about in this series. That we think it should be one way, but in reality, it's a different way. Throughout the gospel, Jesus teaches us that those who think they are righteous are perhaps most in need of God. Well, those who recognize their own sinfulness are actually the ones who have been touched by God. We, we see it in the life of Jesus on earth that he doesn't choose the religious elite. He doesn't go to the Pharisees or, or the Sadducees or the, the religious leaders. He chooses the outcasts. He chooses the ones on the margins of the society for his miracles to lead and teach. I mean, the disciples were Bible school rejects. And it's really easy for us in this day and age to read this parable, all the parables, the the whole of Scripture, and to see ourselves in this tax collector or in the Israelites fleeing Egypt or in the downtrodden and the cast aside what if, what if we're actually a little more like the Pharisee or Pharaoh or the ones who ignore the leper on the side of the road? Particularly those of us who stand up here and, and preach or lead worship or in leadership in a church. I mean, we are the religious elite in today's day and age. We are the ones whom Jesus essentially avoided in ministry while he was here on earth. And from the world's view, we probably have more in common with the Pharisee than with the tax collector. Because we stand up here and, and we tell you all the good we do and all the good you should do. We're the ones who, who make the rules, who have it all together. And if Jesus came back today, we're the ones everyone would expect. He would come to. But would we be? See, the Pharisee in his prayer lists all the ways that he has been righteous. He he fasts twice a week. He gives a tenth of all he earns. He's not like all these people who rob and steal and do all these bad things. And maybe for us that list would look a little different. It's I go to church. Uh, All the time, whether it's virtually or physically, when it's open, Uh, I, I give regularly, I don't curse, I don't judge others. And these are all good things, don't get me wrong. Going to church, giving regularly, participating in a life group, serving in the pumpkin patch, these are all good things, as long as they are your outward expressions of the change that Jesus is bringing in your heart. To the Pharisee, when he was talking about all these things that he, used to, or he was doing, was he was trying to justify himself. Saying, God, look at all these good things I do, therefore I've made it. Not, I've made it, so help me do the good things. And Paul tells us, that we are saved by grace through faith. In a, in a different passage of Scripture, that it's not through our actions, so that no one can boast, but that only God gets the glory. And that's what the Pharisees and, and others of their days had wrong, and I bet some of us have wrong. They thought it was all about what they were doing to be righteous. It was was all about the actions they were taking and the ways that they looked to the world. The, The Pharisees were so concerned with the way they looked to the world that they made extra rules up. Maybe that sounds familiar in the life of church sometimes. That God had given the law at that time, that's how they were to be redeemed and to be found righteous. And the Pharisee said, eh, that's not quite enough. Let's come up with, up with about 600 extra rules to make sure we're really getting it. And then the rules became more important than the heart of God. But the tax collector gets it. The inequity of grace is that it has nothing to do with our actions. The tax collector was doing all the wrong things in his day and age. So it doesn't matter if if we have a drug habit or if we've never touched one in our lives. It doesn't matter if we're in jail or if we're ministering to those in jail. It doesn't even matter if we go to church and give 50% of our income. What matters is what God has done and what God continues to do. Now, don't get me wrong, if you claim to know Jesus and you don't change, I'll make a strong argument that maybe you haven't actually followed Jesus. The actions should come out of that, but the actions in themselves aren't what matter. And as Jesus says in a different part of Scripture that someone who doesn't know they're sick won't seek out a cure. He says that he, he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Not for those who think they have it all together, but for those who don't. The Pharisee thought that being ultra-religious and going beyond what was required brought them righteousness. But the tax collector, he knew he was sick. He knew that he shouldn't even be in the presence of God according to the law of that day. And so he beat his chest, he kept his eyes down, and he begged forgiveness, and God lavishes grace on him. We don't know the extent of his sin. We we don't know if uh, he, like Zacchaeus, was turning from his ways of being a tax collector. But we know that he felt unworthy to even be in God's presence because of what was wrong in his life. I had a fellow pastor describe this interaction between God and, and someone who comes before God like this on a walk to Emmaus, um, like this. If someone came up, think of, your, think of your dream car. I mean, bells and whistles, everything you could ever possibly want in your dream car or truck. Maybe it's a boat, maybe you're more of a boat person. Think of your dream vehicle. Someone comes up with the keys. It says here, it's for you. No cost. No payments, no interest, no tax, just a free gift. If I'm that person, I'm going to first question their motives a little bit and make sure there's no strings attached, and then I'm going to take those keys and drive away quite happily with my brand new perfect car. And in that interaction, I did something, I accepted it, but it pales in comparison to the gifter. That that my action, while necessary, in no way is equal to that of the giver. And so here this tax collector realizes he needs this thing from God, and he says, God, just help me. (laughs) And God does the work. God offers grace to everyone, everywhere, all the time. Uh, in, in United Methodism, in, in Wesleyan theology, we talk about prevenient grace, or grace that is always there. Grace that God is giving us all the time, even if you're not following God. That God is just waiting for you to realize that this offer is being made. It's like that person's following around in the car, just honking, going, No, really, take it, take it, take it. And you're going, Yeah, right, there's strings attached, and running away. Think of that as provenient grace. So the tax collector recognizes that he doesn't have anything to bring to this meeting. And the Pharisee still thinks his work is equal to God's. Now, that's not to say that those of us who are already following God are wrong and aren't receiving God's grace. There's another form of grace uh, we talk about, another part of grace that we talk about called sanctifying grace. Josh mentioned it in his prayer where, where we become more and more like God because God keeps giving us grace. It doesn't stop. But what I'm saying is don't, don't be a Pharisee. Don't be so focused on your own attempts at righteousness that you miss the need for continual grace in your life. Don't get so caught up in your Bible studies and your fasting and your giving, your your virtual or physical attendance, that you miss God. Or as my dad would say, don't miss the forest for the trees. Never forget that you always need God's grace and action in your life. Instead, be more like the tax collector. Uh, in, in that day and age, perhaps you've heard, I mean, the tax collector would be one of the least likely people to receive God's grace, as far as, as the people of that day thought. And I'm sure as the people were listening to this parable of Jesus, they were thinking, oh, man, the Pharisee's a righteous one. We're really going to hear him put down this awful tax collector. Look at, look at this Pharisee who helps us come closer to God, and too bad, so sad, Mr. Tax Collector. Maybe don't steal from your own people tax collectors were almost universally hated because of the extortion they would perform on their own people. They worked with Rome and collected taxes and whatever they collected beyond what Rome asked for, they got to keep. And so they would often take more and more and more. And so if we, like this tax collector, can recognize we don't have it all together, perhaps most of all when we think we do, then we become open to the work of God in our lives. There's a song that that I'll admit I had some trouble with when it first came out. Theologically, I struggled with it, and I think it spoke more to the Pharisee in me than the Christian in me. But I I think it speaks here. It's a song called Better Than a Hallelujah by Amy Grant. You probably heard it on the radio when it came out several years ago. It has lyrics like... God loves a drunkard's cry, the soldier's plea not to let him die, better than a hallelujah sometimes. That the honest cries of breaking hearts are better than a hallelujah. Like I guess I struggled with that at first because I thought, well, of course God wants our praise. I don't know that they're better. I mean, shouldn't they be equal at least? But as we see today's parable, and as we see through the ministry and life of Jesus, it's those who cry out in need of God that God celebrates. It's, It's the things that were lost that are found that God celebrates. The cries of someone who realizes their need for God are better than a hallelujah from someone who doesn't think they need God anymore in their life. That if we think we've got it all together and we're coming and we're singing and we're praising, we're missing the point. We sing and we praise because we don't have it all together. But God empowers us to do better every day. The good news is this. The inequity of grace is that God forgives anyone who asks for it no matter if they've stolen from their own people or if they're too self-righteous to even think they need it, so long as they realize it and turn to God. We are never too far gone in either direction for the grace of God. If we humble ourselves, we will be given grace and mercy beyond comprehension. We just need to turn and ask. Amen. And as we as we think about this, this, this struggle to, to realize our own need and continually realize our own need for God, we're reminded of what Jesus did for us that, that the inequity of grace is only possible because of the sacrifice. Jesus made.